Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome back to The Cross Connection. Like we always do at this time, it's time to make it make sense. Now, this week's question is coming at you from Phoenix, Arizona. I got a question for you. Why is Donald Trump running around free? I mean, he incited a riot. He continues to do so. Uh, people in court defending themselves are citing him as the reason why they attacked the Capitol. I, if, if we played by his rules, he'd be in jail or worse. I don't understand. Why can't he? Isn't there a seditious line he can cross? I know we have free speech in this country. As my friend's four-year-old would say, we should cut his butt off and put him in jail. Can you make sense of that? Thank you. What a smart four-year-old. Can't I? Hi, this is me. This past Friday, many of us celebrated Juneteenth. I did. And yet so many others didn't and haven't. As a matter of fact, there are three states that still do not recognize it. North Dakota, South Dakota, and Hawaii. How did it feel to celebrate freedom that we're still fighting for? Hmm. It felt and feels too familiar. I know that dance. I've heard those songs. It was an 18-year fight to get Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday a national holiday. Yet, it was a fight I was not willing to lose. It was a fight that many of you joined. And I thank you. But here we are again and again and again and again I'm not one who make believes. I know that leaves are green. They only turn to brown. When autumn comes around, I know just what I say today's not yesterday. And all things have an ending. But what I'd like to know is when will the day come that we let hate go? Or do I have to concede that for human beings, it's just impossible. But if life can have an ending, all things can have an ending. Systemic racism can have an ending. Police brutality can have an ending. Economic repression of black and brown people can have an ending. A movement without action is a movement standing still. To those who say they care, move more than your mouth. Move your feet to the polls and use your hands to vote. The future is in your hands. We have the power to vote and we can make a change. The youngest at 18 and the oldest at 110 can make a difference. Make your plan now to vote, because right now, there are forces trying to take your vote away in November. I hear voices on the left. I hear voices on the right. I've been following everything that's being said, but what I have not heard is a unanimous commitment to atone for the sins of this country. I've heard the person in the highest place of this nation say there are fine people on both sides. That sounds noncommittal to me. I have a great relationship with the blacks. Peaceful protesters called thugs. Immigrants called rapists. And from the very place that civilization began, Africa, I've heard this commander-in-chief call it an S-H-I-T hole. Wow. One day, you will show that you're sorry because action speaks louder than words. And the appalling silence by some is deafening. The only way any of us can show repentance is by how we live, 
not what we say. Lift your heart to the now, for the forever. Change those words into action. Black lives do matter. And this is not another digital viral trend moment or hashtag. It has to be the beginning of an end of all this book-ish. It is our lives, literally. Yes, all lives do matter. But they only matter when black lives matter too. You know, it's a sad day when I can see better than your 2020 vision. The universe is watching us. Forget about a hundred, a thousand years from now. What will we have done by this time next year? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about every single body. Let's do something. Let's make a difference. I thank you and God bless you. Good evening, my fellow Americans, and happy Lunar New Year. I'm Stacey Abrams, and I'm honored to join the conversation about the state of our union. Growing up, my family went back and forth between lower middle class and working class. Yet even when they came home weary and bone tired, my parents found a way to show us all who we could be. My librarian mother taught us to love learning. My father, a shipyard worker, put in overtime and extra shifts, and they made sure we volunteered to help others. Later, they both became United Methodist ministers, an expression of the faith that guides us. These were our family values, faith, service, education, and responsibility. Now, we only had one car, so sometimes my dad had to hitchhike and walk long stretches during the 30-mile trip home from the shipyards. One rainy night, my mom got worried. We piled in the car and went out looking for him, and we eventually found my dad making his way along the road, soaked and shivering in his shirt sleeves. When he got in the car, my mom asked if he'd left his coat at work. He explained that he'd given it to a homeless man he'd met on the highway. When we asked why he'd given away his only jacket, my dad turned to us and said, I knew when I left that man he'd still be alone, but I could give him my coat because I knew you were coming for me. Our power and strength as Americans lives in our hard work and our belief in more. My family understood firsthand that while success is not guaranteed, we live in a nation where opportunity is possible. But we do not succeed alone. In these United States, when times are tough, we can persevere because our friends and neighbors will come for us. Our first responders will come for us. It is this mantra, this uncommon grace of community that has driven me to become an attorney, a small business owner, a writer, and most recently, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. My reason for running was simple. I love our country and its promise of opportunity for all. And I stand here tonight because I hold fast to my father's credo. Together, we are coming for America, for a better America. Just a few weeks ago, I joined volunteers to distribute meals to furloughed federal workers. They waited in line for a box of food and a sliver of hope since they hadn't received paychecks in weeks. Making livelihoods of our federal workers a pawn for political games is a disgrace. The shutdown was a stunt, engineered by the President of the United States, one that defied every tenet of fairness and abandoned not just our people, but our values. For seven years, I led the Democratic Party in the Georgia House of Representatives. I didn't always agree with the Republican speaker or governor, but I understood that our constituents didn't care about our political parties, they cared about their lives. So when we had to negotiate criminal justice reform or transportation or foster care improvements, the leaders of our state didn't shut down. We came together and we kept our word. It should be no different in our nation's capital. 
We may come from different sides of the political aisle, but our joint commitment to the ideals of this nation cannot be negotiable. Our most urgent work is to realize Americans' dreams of today and tomorrow, to carve a path to independence and prosperity that can last a lifetime. Children deserve an excellent education from cradle to career. We owe them safe schools and the highest standards, regardless of zip code. Yet this White House responds timidly while first graders practice active shooter drills and the price of higher education grows ever steeper. From now on, our leaders must be willing to tackle gun safety measures and face the crippling effect of educational loans to support educators and invest what is necessary to unleash the power of America's greatest minds. In Georgia and around the country, people are striving for a middle class where a salary truly equals economic security. But instead, families' hopes are being crushed by Republican leadership that ignores real life or just doesn't understand it. Under the current administration, far too many hardworking Americans are falling behind, living paycheck to paycheck, most without labor unions to protect them from even worse harm. The Republican tax bill rigged the system against working people. Rather than bringing back jobs, plants are closing, layoffs are looming, and wages struggle to keep pace with the actual cost of living. We owe more to the millions of everyday folks who keep our economy running, like truck drivers forced to buy their own rigs, farmers caught in a trade war, small business owners in search of capital, and domestic workers serving without labor protections. Women and men who could thrive if only they had the support and freedom to do so. We know bipartisanship could craft a 21st century immigration plan, but this administration chooses to cage children and tear families apart. Compassionate treatment at the border is not the same as open borders. President Reagan understood this. President Obama understood this. Americans understand this. And Democrats stand ready to effectively secure our ports and borders. But we must all embrace that from agriculture to health care to entrepreneurship, America is made stronger by the presence of immigrants, not walls. And rather than suing to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, as Republican attorneys general have, our leaders must protect the progress we've made and commit to expanding health care and lowering costs for everyone. My father has battled prostate cancer for years. To help cover the cost, I found myself sinking deeper into debt, because while you can defer some payments, you can't defer cancer treatment. In this great nation, Americans are skipping blood pressure pills, forced to choose between buying medicine or paying rent. Maternal mortality rates show that mothers, especially black mothers, risk death to give birth. And in 14 states, including my home state, where a majority want it, our leaders refuse to expand Medicaid, which could save rural hospitals, save economies, and save lives. We can do so much more take action on climate change, defend individual liberties with fair-minded judges. But none of these ambitions are possible without the bedrock guarantee of our right to vote. Let's be clear. Voter suppression is real. From making it harder to register and stay on the rolls, to moving and closing polling places, to rejecting lawful ballots, we can no longer ignore these threats to democracy. While I acknowledge the results of the 2018 election here in Georgia, I did not, and we cannot, accept efforts to undermine our right to vote. That's why I started a nonpartisan organization called Fair Fight, to advocate for voting rights. This is the next battle for our democracy one where all eligible citizens can have their say about the vision we want for our country. We must reject the cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is a power grab. Americans understand that these are the values our brave men and women in uniform and our veterans risk their lives to defend. The foundation of our moral leadership 
around the globe is free and fair elections, where voters pick their leaders, not where politicians pick their voters. In this time of division and crisis, we must come together and stand for and with one another. America has stumbled time and again on its quest towards justice and equality. But with each generation, we have revisited our fundamental truths, and where we falter, we make amends. We fought Jim Crow with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, yet we continue to confront racism from our past and in our present, which is why we must hold everyone from the highest offices to our own families accountable for racist words and deeds and call racism what it is, wrong. America achieves a measure of reproductive justice in Roe v. Wade, but we must never forget it is immoral to allow politicians to harm women and families to advance a political agenda. We affirmed marriage equality, and yet the LGBTQ community remains under attack. So even as I am very disappointed by the president's approach to our problems, I still don't want him to fail. But we need him to tell the truth and to respect his duties and respect the extraordinary diversity that defines America. Our progress has always been found in the refuge, in the basic instinct of the American experiment, to do right by our people. And with a renewed commitment to social and economic justice, we will create a stronger America together. Because America wins by fighting for our shared values against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That is who we are. And when we do so, never wavering, the state of our union will always be strong. Thank you. And may
the days would all be empty. The nights would seem so long. With you I see forever, oh so clearly. I might have been in love before, but it never felt this strong. Our dreams are young and we both know they'll take us where we want to go. Hold me now, touch me now. guiding star I'll be there for you if you should need me you don't have to change a thing I love you just the way you are so come with me and share the view I'll help you see forever too hold me now touch me now I don't want Now, the U.S. leads the world in coronavirus cases by a lot. The U.S. is just over 4% of the world's population, yet represents 31% total cases. And the president somehow thinks that's a good thing. When we have a lot of cases, I don't look at that as a bad thing. I look at that as, in a certain respect, as being a good thing, because it means our testing is much better. So if we were testing a million people instead of 14 million people, we would have far few cases, right? So I view it as a badge of honor. Really, it's a badge of honor. It's a great tribute to the testing and all of the work that a lot of professionals have done. I mean, aside from the fact that most believe that this president has botched this crisis from the get-go, and this will be known in history worldwide as a human catastrophe that he could have prevented. Um, and he's trying to deflect at all times. And Willie and Mike, he's uh, tweeting again all sorts of crazy things. Uh, once again, uh, tweeting conspiracy theories about Joe falsely accusing him of murder, talking about the death of a young staffer in his congressional office years ago and calling him dangerous to walk the streets. 
And I'll just say I'll take a point of personal privilege here. That's sick. Donald, you're a sick person. You're a sick person. To put this family through this, to put her husband through this, to do this just because you're mad at Joe because Joe got you again today, because he speaks the truth and he speaks plainly about your lack of interest and empathy in others and your lack of ability to handle this massive human catastrophe, the fact that you've made it worse and that you make it worse every day and that you won't even wear a mask to protect people from your germs. But the germs you're spreading on Twitter, first of all, Twitter, you shouldn't be allowing this and you should be taking these tweets down and you should be ashamed of yourself. You'll be hearing from me on this because this is BS. But Donald, you're a sick person. You're really a cruel, sick, disgusting person. And you can keep tweeting about Joe, but you're just hurting other people. And of course, you're hurting yourself. Willie, why don't Thanks for checking out MSNBC on YouTube. And Mr. Trump, it's Dixon White here, sending a video letter directly to you, sir. And the only reason I call you sir is because the office that you hold is supposed to be a respectable office. But so I just want to speak directly to you, Mr. Trump. I know you may never get this video. Maybe you will, though, because at least I have white skin like you. But first, I wanted to applaud you for one thing, and only one thing. Um, many racists in politics are very covert. So I applaud you for being an open racist, and I applaud you for at least letting us see just how racist you are. And it's now it's it's well established worldwide that you are a bona fide white supremacist. Um, there's not a nation that hasn't condemned you as a racist. So you have dishonored and disgraced one of the the highest office offices in the land. But I wanted to say one thing. You made a comment yesterday about shithole countries, poor black brown countries. So because they're poor because they're black and brown and not white or European, you consider them shitholes. Well, I wanted to give you an accurate definition of a shithole nation. A shithole nation, by definition, would be a nation like America that allows and tolerates a racist to operate in their highest office, the presidency. That is a shithole nation, a nation that tolerates a racist president. There is no worse pile of shit or turd in the toilet out of all the other countries than a great nation like America that allows its president to be an open, white supremacists and then to allow them to continue to function as president that's the biggest turd in the pot or as you say the biggest shithole why because you Mr. Trump are the shit the turd in the White House that's staining and putting a foul odor all over our nation and, of course, the only reason you're there is because you're a racist. You're a complete and utter idiot with no competency whatsoever to be where you're at. The only reason you're there is because we had a black president and our racist nation wanted a racist president after a black president. So until America can get past its racism which I don't know if it ever has, because there's one thing about black folks, Mr. Trump. Black folks have always understood one thing. The more things change in this country, the more they stay the same. You are living proof that any white person, no matter how racist they are, and matter of fact, racism is actually more of a compliment in this nation. It's like apple pie racism in America they go hand in hand if you're a white American you're a racist and you've, and you've proven that and not only you're a racist if you're a racist 
you get rewarded for being a racist in this country. Why? Because we are a racist organization called America. Fact. And nothing has changed. In 400 years, what has really changed? We're still seeing black and brown folks executed in the street. Not that you and Jeff Sessions or any of your racist motherfucking cabinet care. You don't give a fuck about justice for people of color. You're all a group of white nationalists. So I just want to tell you, here's one white guy, and I'm telling you personally, Donald Trump, kiss my white fat ass. I hate you, Donald Trump. I literally hate you. And I pray to God you get impeached. You're an embarrassment to our nation and upon the world. Please do us all a favor and resign. The only people that want you in office are more racist. And yes, I know that our country, the majority of white people are racist. And the majority of white people totally and completely support you. I really believe that. Because they're not supporting you, then they're silently ignoring your racism. But anyhow, please do us all a favor. In Congress, please act to remove this racist motherfucker and his racist administration, or Congress is no better. Please remove this racist motherfucker from office. We begin tonight with what a self-proclaimed wartime president looks like, with more than 137,000 American lives lost in the war. And we should point out what you're about to see is how he wants to look. It's no accident. We're not about to show you some kind of unguarded, unflattering, behind-the-scenes moment. No, this is a picture the President of the United States posed for and put out on his Instagram page. It's the image he chooses to project to the families and the friends and the children and neighbors of 137,000 of his fellow Americans. This is our wartime president today. And while there's plenty more that could be said about the idiotic way it came to be, the pettiness behind it or the political calculations, if any, that went into it, the truth is any attempt to explain or contextualize this grotesque photo only adds the insult. So we'll let it speak for itself. We'll let it be exactly what it is, a picture of the most powerful man on earth facing the most serious challenge on earth right now in the Oval Office behind the famed resolute desk and a can of beans, plus a few other items from aisle nine. Thumbs up, orange, grinning like he's just won a prize. 137,000 Americans dead, and this is our self-proclaimed wartime president's answer to it. He hasn't been to a coronavirus task force meeting since April, we're told. He's been doing everything he can to undermine our nation's scientists. He ignored for crucial weeks the spread of this virus. He's lied about it, thinks it just will magically disappear. And given the death toll and the spread of the virus, you might think he might be spending every waking moment trying to combat it, talking to victims' families, rallying Americans to be patriotic by wearing a mask, washing their hands, protecting their neighbors. But no, this is what he wants the world to see, the infected, the recovering, the newly grieving. Anyone on Instagram, the more clicks for this president, the better. So we want to uh, just hold up this picture. We want to give the president what he is so obvious. I think the list of commandments was deliberately and artificially inflated to get it up to 10. It's a padded list. Here's what they did. About 5,000 years ago, a bunch of religious and political hustlers got together to try to figure out how to control people, how to keep them in line. They knew people were basically stupid and would believe anything they were told. So they announced that God had given them some commandments. Up on a mountain, when no one was around, God had given them the Ten Commandments. But let me ask you this. When they were sitting around making this shit up, why did they pick ten? Why ten? Why not nine or eleven? I'll tell you why. Because ten sounds official. Ten sounds important. They knew if it was eleven, people wouldn't take it seriously. Say, so what, are you kidding me? The Eleven Commandments? Get the fuck out of here. But ten... Ten sounds important. Ten is the basis for the decimal system. It's a decade. It's a psychologically satisfying number. The top ten, the ten most wanted, the ten best dressed. So having ten commandments was really a marketing decision. And to me, it's clearly a bullshit list. It's a political document artificially inflated to sell better. I'm going to show you how you could reduce the number of commandments and come up with a list that's a little more workable and logical. We're going to start with the first three, and I'll use the Roman Catholic version because those are the ones I was taught as a little boy. 
I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt keep holy the Sabbath. Right off the bat, the first three, pure bullshit. <laughs> Sabbath, Sabbath day, Lord's name, strange gods. Spooky language. <laughs> Spooky language. Designed to scare and control primitive people. In no way does superstitious nonsense like this apply to the lives of intelligent, civilized humans in the 21st century. You throw out the first three commandments, you're down to seven. Next, honor thy father and mother. Obedience, respect for authority. Just another name for controlling people. The truth is, obedience and respect should not be automatic. They should be earned. They should be based on the parent's performance. Parent's performance. Right? Some, some parents deserve respect. Most of them don't. Period. You're down to six. Now, in the interest of logic, something religion is very uncomfortable with, we're going to jump around the list a little bit. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Stealing and lying. Well, actually, these two both prohibit the same kind of behavior. Dishonesty, stealing, and lying. So you don't need two of them. Instead, you combine them and you call it, thou shalt not be dishonest. And suddenly, you're down to five. And as long as we're combining, I have two others that belong together. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Once again, these two prohibit the same kind of behavior, in this case, marital infidelity. The difference is coveting takes place in the mind, and I don't think you should outlaw fantasizing about someone else's wife. Otherwise, what's a guy going to think about when he's waxing his carrot? <laughs> but, but marital fidelity is a good idea, so we're going to keep the idea and call this one, Thou shalt not be unfaithful. And suddenly, we're down to four. But when you think about it, honesty and fidelity are really part of the same overall value. So in truth, you could combine the two honesty commandments with the two fidelity commandments and give them simpler language, positive language instead of negative, and call the whole thing, thou shalt always be honest and faithful, and we're down to three. Thou shalt, thou shalt, they're going away, they're going away fast. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. This one is just plain fucking stupid. <laughs> Coveting your neighbor's goods is what keeps the economy going. Am I right? Your neighbor gets a vibrator that plays Oh Come All Ye Faithful. You want to get one too. Coveting creates jobs. Leave it alone. You throw out coveting and you're down to two now. The big honesty and fidelity commandment. And the one we haven't talked about yet. Thou shalt not kill. Murder. The fifth commandment. But when you think about it. <laughs> when you think about it. Religion has never really had a big problem with murder. Not really. More people have been killed in the name of God than for any other reason. All you have to do. Sure. Uh-huh. All you have to do is look at Northern Ireland, the Middle East, Kashmir, the Inquisition, the Crusades, and the World Trade Center to see how seriously the religious folks take thou shalt not kill. The more devout they are, the more they see murder as being negotiable. It's negotiable. You know? It depends. It depends. It depends on who's doing the killing and who's getting killed. So, with all of this in mind, I leave you with my revised list of the two commandments. <laughs> Thou shalt always be honest and faithful to the provider of thy nookie. <laughs> and thou shalt try real hard not to kill anyone. Unless, of course, they pray to a different invisible man from the one you pray to. <laughs> two is all you need. Moses could have carried him down the hill in his fucking pocket. And if they had a list like that, I wouldn't mind those folks in Alabama putting it up on the courthouse wall. As long as they included one additional commandment, thou shalt keep thy religion to thyself. Department. In the bullshit department, a businessman can't hold a candle to a clergyman. Because I've got to tell you the truth, folks. I've got to tell you the truth. When it comes to bullshit, big time, major league bullshit, you have to stand in awe. 
in awe of the all-time champion of false promises and exaggerated claims, religion. No contest. No contest. Religion. Religion easily has the greatest bullshit story ever told. Think about it. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he needs money. He always needs money. He's all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, and all-wise. Somehow, just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions of dollars, they pay no taxes, and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good bullshit story. Holy shit. Thank you very much. But I want you to know, I want you to know something. This is sincere. I want you to know, when it comes to believing in God, I really tried. I really, really tried. I tried to believe that there is a God who created each of us in his own image and likeness, loves us very much, and keeps a close eye on things. I really tried to believe that, but I got to tell you, the longer you live, the more you look around, the more you realize something is fucked up. Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. <laughs> Something is definitely wrong. This is not good work. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. This is the kind of shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. <laughs> and just between you and me...
Hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small. 